Hello, and welcome to Book Talk. Our show is produced by the Better Living Institute. I'm Kira Van Ittersum, and I'm here with my husband, Bill Van Ittersum. On Book Talk, we're going to be sharing books that Bill and I love. These are books that have broadened our awareness, and they're also books that we think give valuable insights, inspiring us to make changes. We hope that they'll also inspire you to take action steps to make life changes, and the goal is to create a more joyful and fulfilling life for yourself and also for those you love. So here's how we're thinking that we're going to work this. We're going to talk about an amazingly simple but instructive book and why we think that it's important, and then you can decide for yourself if you should own it. Just as an aside, I want to tell you that Bill and I love covering books like this. It's kind of like having a magic tool bag that you can open up and dig through anytime you feel the need. Today's book is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Now, the thing that intrigues me about this book is actually the subtitle. It's a practical guide to personal freedom. What does that mean? Well, the book is a spiritual teaching. It's based on the ancient Toltec teachings that Don Miguel had so much experience with. And it really teaches us how to rise above the world consciousness and get into our own personal consciousness so that we become the creators of our own life rather than just going along with what everybody else is doing or being mired in habits that we've created since childhood, some inflicted on us by others. So I like the idea of personal freedom. How do you feel about that, Bill? It's uh, very intriguing to think about getting personal freedom or getting spiritual enlightenment just by practicing four very simple little agreements. Don Miguel Ruiz starts off by talking about how we're living in a collective dream. The Toltecs were an ancient wisdom cult that was based in the city outside of Mexico City where the pyramids were located. And I'm sure I can't do justice with the pronunciation here. I'm I'm sorry, but uh, the city became known as the place where man becomes God. So the men and women who formed this ancient wisdom cult, which interestingly enough, they were referred to as scientists and artists. And you got to remember that this was over 3000 years ago. And many people think of these cultures as primitive and how would we call them scientists? But uh, that is what they were. And they certainly studied the natural world and the way it intersected with the um, higher consciousness. They certainly knew uh, in practical terms what we're, as a society, just now discovering with the new physics, how in quantum physics there's actually the living matter between molecules that a table is a table except when it's not because it's a combination of, of energy. So this is the point of view that he's coming from that we have been in a collective dream, if you will, from the time that we were born as little children. We were raised in a culture, and that culture gave us many different rules that we would have to live by. This is a man, this is a woman, this is a mommy, this is a daddy, this is your brother, this is your sister, this is how we act at church, this is how we act at school. This is how we act at the dinner table. And when you did right, you were rewarded. And when you did wrong, you were punished. 
and he calls it the domestication of humans. It's an interesting uh, way to look at this. Before we go too much further, it'd probably be a, an interesting thing to start off to say, what are the four agreements? So, Kira, why don't you take that? Okay. Well, the first agreement is be impeccable with your word. It sounds very simple, and it is very powerful, but what does it mean? <laughs> the word impeccable, what does that mean? The word is a powerful one, and our words can change the lives of people that we encounter. They create the world that we live in. We create our own world by our words, and we create the words, the world of others as well. Impeccable means without sin. It's based on a Latin word, but it does mean without sin. And what does that mean? A sin is maybe what, not what you normally would think of sin, but sin is actually doing harm to yourself. That's what a sin is. Anything that goes against you or does harm to yourself. And when you think about it, when you do harm to other people, you're also doing harm to yourself because when you do harm to them, they're not going to like you very much. And that's going to make your life a little bit uncomfortable. So that's what the first agreement is. The second agreement is don't take anything personally. The third agreement is don't make assumptions. And the fourth agreement is always do your best. And it's sort of the fourth agreement refers to the action of the first three agreements. Do your best to do the first three agreements. Don Miguel says that if you do this, you can create heaven on earth for yourself. One of the reasons that the, the fourth agreement, always do your best, is a powerful agreement is that by choosing to always do your best and by choosing to believe that you have done your best, you are pre-forgiving yourself for all the times you are slipping up when you're trying to input the first three agreements into your life. Again, back to the first agreement, be impeccable with your word. And as Kira mentioned, the word impeccable comes from Latin, and it does refer to being without sin, which, as she mentioned, is not in the biblical sense, and that is not in the religious sense or in a moral sense. It is just in the sense of not hurting yourself. That first agreement goes into a place that has an extreme amount of power. It really has to do with speaking your word in such a way that you are creating with your word. It's just like the verses in the Bible that described how the earth was created. And in the beginning, there was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And I'm paraphrasing this, certainly. It does show the word itself as spoken is a very, very powerful tool. It reminds me of a friend of mine that was speaking of the derivation of the word abracadabra. We were in a spiritual class, and she brought up the definition of abracadabra from the ancient Arabic teachings, where this was a very powerful word at one time. And if you look it up on Wikipedia, you actually see the definition of abracadabra is, I create as I speak. Well, you can imagine how powerful that is in the hands of a magician, person who is skilled in the art of belief of their power, of their word. They could speak healing. They could speak whatever they wanted into creation. They could abuse it, and they could speak out harm. That is also a major aspect of the first agreement, because without understanding 
Most of the time, by speaking out, we are creating harm, not only to ourselves, but to others. So we're actually creating black magic instead of white magic. So part of Don Miguel's teaching is to awaken us to always be cognizant of what we're saying and how we're creating with this product that we call the word. Yes, in fact, he goes so far as to say that it's like casting spells. Every time we speak, we're either casting a good spell or we're casting a bad spell. And he actually talks of us in that way of as we're actually magicians. With our good words, we're casting a good spell. And we can be black magicians by casting negative spells. Our words have such power that those who hear them are affected and they have impact, especially when we're young children. It's very important to speak kindly and constructively to people. Or to yourself. Most of our conversation from the beginning of our day to the falling asleep at night is self-talk, is directed at and to ourselves. Whether we step in front of the mirror, whether we're in traffic, driving to or from places of employment or school or other activities. All of this self-talk is either constructive or it's destructive. Your intent manifests through your word. Basically, your word is a force, the spiritual force that they talked about in the movie Star Wars. This is a powerful thing that we treat oftentimes very, very lightly. I know that as Kira and I are studying things like the power of intention or some of these other new programs that are happening today, sometimes we're struggling with the fact that it seems like our manifestation either isn't working or if it's working, it's bringing us some of the things we don't want. I think the heart of the supposed success or lack of success that we are qualifying by judging what's happening in our lives is totally due to the first agreement. Sure, we say that we want these positive things to occur in our life through the power of the law of attraction, and yet two minutes later, we're cursing. We walk into the bathroom, look in the mirror, and and then we're faced with self-doubt, and we're wondering if we even deserve this. So we get one positive message and 47 negative ones. It's the old story of one step forward, two steps back. Yeah, it's it's like these agreements are, on the surface, they seem very simple, but applying them is another thing. When we try to apply them, we're faced with all the dilemmas and all the baggage that we've been carrying around from our past, all the voices in our head, all the self-doubts that we've had forever, practically. And we and it's hard to overcome all of that. It's, it's hard to develop the inertia to push forward and push out of that. But the application of these really simple agreements gives us at least somewhere to start. That's what I really like about it. The beauty of this is that it's sort of simple ideas that you can remember. You're not going to remember them perfectly at first, but it's a practice. It's something that you can put into your life and begin to use these things as tools. It's just four simple agreements. And I love the beauty of that. Now, the second one, as Kira mentioned, is don't take anything personally. It's interesting to think about driving again as an example. So much today happens to us on the road in terms of our interaction with other people. Certainly, 
where we work, we interact with other people directly. Some of the students would be interacting with each other, you know, in their classrooms. But the second most common place that we interact with other people is on the road. One of the things that's been happening over the last 10 years in particular is this aspect we call road rage. And to me, that is totally an example of taking things personally, especially when things probably are not meant personally. And perhaps even when they are. There are situations where people do things designed to be personal from their standpoint. But if we take into consideration they're in their own collective dream, they're in their own collective confusion state of reality that Don Miguel talks about, we realize it's still all about themselves. It really isn't about us. Even if they point at us, give us the finger and try to cut us off with their car. That's about as personal as it can get, other than the fact they might hit you with their car. (laughs) I have a friend who once said that when he's on the road, he tries to remember that every other person is doing the best that they can at that moment. It doesn't always appear that they're doing the best that they can, but in their state of consciousness and what they're dealing with, they probably are doing the best that they can at the moment. So if you can remember that, you can maybe prevent yourself from being so upset with them. Which, again, is an interesting way to segue into the fourth agreement, always do your best. That's why the fourth agreement is kind of like a corollary to the first three. It not only helps absolve you of judgment when you fail trying to input the first three, but it also is a good means of forgiving others when they fall short of the first three, and in particular, when they have never even heard of the first three, and they're not even trying to practice them in the first place. (laughs) So much of life is about being in a place where you're kind of living in a pre-forgiveness state of mind, both for your own self and your own personal actions and those of others, learning to live, you know, a judgment-free life. It's not easy And it is a moment-by-moment process. Dad Miguel has a quote in the book. He says, Others are going to have their own opinion according to their belief system, so nothing they think about me is really about me, but it's all about them. That's really what it comes down to. You have to understand that every person is living in his own individual world. It has nothing to do with you. But since we're living in our world and we're thinking that everything has to do with us, when it really doesn't, Um, An interesting uh, area that he gets into is this whole idea of suffering. As we're taught from little children and as we're domesticated, as he says, as humans, similar to how you domesticate a dog or a cat or some other animal, because of the rewards and because of the punishments, you begin to associate life with being a place of, of fear, life being a place where you don't measure up, life being a place where you should be perfect, they want you to be perfect, but you're never ever going to be perfect, which of course totally opens you up to self-judgment and self-criticism and to more pain and suffering. So on page 57, he says, humans are addicted to suffering at different levels to different degrees. And then we support each other in maintaining these addictions. Humans agree to help each other suffer, which (laughs) sounds really kind of crazy. And you wouldn't think that that, that's like, no, that's not how it is. But 
yes, it is very much how it is. And if you're predisposed to a certain kind of suffering, it's very, very easy to find someone who you can partner up with who will accommodate you. <laughs> That's true. Remember, it's like if we're always putting ourselves down for the things that we can't do better at. I did that wrong. Or we're blaming ourselves for things that we've done in the past that we wish we had done better. But not only do we blame ourselves, but we usually have someone with us, either a spouse or a friend, or someone who reminds us constantly of the things that we did that were really stupid. Do you ever notice that? So yeah, we judge ourselves. So part of this whole teaching is to learn to live in your own truth, stand in your own truth, and not really care that much about what someone else is saying or thinking about you. Which, again, underlines the second agreement. Don't take anything personally. So even when you're doing your self-talk and you're slipping up, you failed on number one, you're not impeccable with your word, putting yourself down, don't take yourself personally. Somebody has said something nasty to you. Uh, You get into a fight and you pull out all the guns so that you can win, you end up saying something to this other person or they end up saying something to you. You know, How many times is this someone that is really so close to you, you say, I love that person and I love them dearly. It might be your mom, it might be your dad, it might be one of your kids, it might be your wife or your husband. And yet there you are in the heat of the moment and they have trying to win the argument, they have said something to you that hurts very, very deeply. So in the past, you carry that, and you carry that, and you carry that. Um, You know, the marriage counselors say, never go to bed angry, but most of us do. Part of the second agreement is to back off, forgive, and don't take it personally. Easier said than done. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like whether somebody's complimenting us or condemning us or judging us. Ultimately, what really matters is our own opinion. And the stronger we become in our own opinion of ourselves, then the stronger belief system that we have in our own heaven, the heaven that we're creating. So we each kind of direct our own movie in life. We each get to create life the way we want it to be. It's disheartening at times when we want others to really like us and approve of us. But the bottom line is it's really important what you think about yourself. We're going to take a break here for a moment to thank a sponsor. This segment of our podcast is sponsored by BulletPad, the fun and intuitive app for writing outlines and organizing your thoughts on your iPad. With BulletPad, you can quickly create a hierarchical list of bullet points, giving structure to your great ideas. BulletPad is a great tool for writers and thinkers, featuring a simple but powerful toolbar above the keyboard to help you navigate your text with arrow keys and to change the indent of your bullet points. Use drag and drop to move your bullet points anywhere in the list. Use the zoom in feature to drill down on any section of your list or use zoom out to get the big picture view. BulletPad is available now for free. Just go to the App Store on your iPad and search for bullet pad. Now the third agreement, as Kira read, is don't make assumptions. A little different. You think, well, exactly where does this belong in this flow of spiritual teaching? It correlates with be impeccable with your word because when you're making assumptions, when you assume that you know what the other person is either thinking 
or doing or saying, you don't have the information that you truly need. You're making decisions, you're making choices based on a fantasy, based on an imagination. Someone comes into the table and, you know, they put coffee down in front of you because every morning you get up and you want coffee. Well, this particular morning you got up and you wanted something else. They made an assumption. It's not fitting with what you wanted, but then you have to say, what kind of signals did I give? Or, you know, I wasn't very clear or I wasn't clear at all. (laughs) Which brings up another thing, because the way to overcome assumptions primarily is to ask questions. If you don't really know something, you can't just assume it. The way to get the information that you need is to ask questions. So the person who gave you the coffee could have said, would you like a cup of coffee this morning? Are you having coffee? (laughs) It's just a matter of clearing that up, operating with clarity. What Kira just mentioned, or what she just described, is discussion, is communication, is discourse. This is the area that typically uh, gets lost in so many people's relationships, especially today. Whether this was true 50 years ago, whether it was true 100 years ago, every society has their challenges. And our particular modern Western society is challenged by the fact that it's been speeded up. We don't seem to have time any longer. We don't have time for the pleasantries. We don't have time to sit down and have breakfast. So many of the shows on television, they show the kids coming in and grabbing a piece of toast and rushing out the door. While I'm late for school... Or father says, I'm late for work, or the mom is going to work, and I'm late for work. There's not time for hardly a cask let alone taking time for a discussion or to have a good meal. There doesn't seem to be time to have dinner together as a family unit. There doesn't seem to have time for couples to converse together. So many times we're, we're watching a show or a movie or, and they're portraying the new young couples who are sitting at a fine table at a fine restaurant and they're both texting and neither one of them is talking to the other person. Then the dinner comes and they continue, continue texting and their drink is there. They're drinking and eating and they're still texting. Couples are walking down the street. I see this when I'm driving around, and it doesn't seem to be uh, an age barrier anymore. I, I saw a couple a couple months ago, and I would say they're in their late 50s. They weren't even walking together shoulder to shoulder because they were so engrossed, each of them with their own telephone texting. They were walking along, punching the buttons, reading the screen, and they were probably about five feet away from each other, like strangers, but you could tell they were supposed to be together, looked like a couple. So taking the time to converse, to discourse, you'll find out what the other person is thinking. Right. Something came to mind as you were just talking, and that is that um, Don Miguel in the book also talks about rituals that people put into place. Now, I've never really been a big fan of rituals. You know, I mean, we do certain things in our family, but I wouldn't say that we have a prescribed way of doing things on a daily basis, but I do think I began to understand the importance of rituals because you can actually use these things as rituals to emphasize 
the positive aspects of your relationship. Some people have certain habits that they do every day, like they kiss goodbye, or at night they may say certain things to each other. They may pray together. These are just ritualistic kinds of activities that people instill into their lives, which remind them of what their agenda is and remind them that they are a couple, that they are doing things together. They are a family. They do love one another. If you can make this a part of your daily experience, at least you have that much to hold on to. So in that way, I think rituals may have a place, a very positive place in our lives. I think that's another way to incorporate the first agreement. Again, be impeccable with your word. Because when you are not only planning these activities, but when you are performing in these activities, modeling these activities, you are in fact creating through your word. You're certainly not doing them silently. There is discussion going on. So there is actually speaking of the word. There is intent, which is part of the corollary of be impeccable with your word. Your word is your intent. By just going through that process, you're honoring that first agreement. Right. I was going to say, too, there's emphasis in the book on the two words. They're sort of flip sides of each other, the word fear and the word, and the word love. We're always acting out of one of those. I think that we can probably have a lot more compassion for people who are angering us or doing things that irritate us if we understand that there we're all acting out of either fear or love. When a person's not acting out of love, it's because they have some sort of underlying fear that they're dealing with. I think sometimes, too, when we're not really being clear with each other, when we're trying to have discussions, we don't always clarify things and we don't always ask the questions that we want the answers to because we genuinely are afraid of the answer. It's much easier to assume that we know what that person wants than to ask the person and find out that what they say to us isn't something we want to hear. So because we are we have a fear of knowing the truth, we sometimes refrain from asking the question. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And the hard part of that is most of the time, again, because we're working in our fantasy world, we're working in our imagination, we really can't second guess what that other person wants. doesn't matter if you've been with them for 40 years. You still can't really second guess what they want. Now you've created a situation where most of the time they're unhappy with how you have assumed you were afraid to ask in the first place. You were afraid to get the response and you made the assumption most of the time you're going to turn out to be wrong. Well, when you're wrong, it doesn't feel good. And they're going to let you know that you're wrong and that you've screwed up. And then you're going to defend yourself certainly say things like, well, that's how you always wanted it before. Well, that's why I did it that way now. You're going to also defend this new territory that you've carved out for yourself. It seems like you could have saved yourself so much heartache if you'd been brave enough, as Kira said, to ask uh, first. And the reason we're not brave is because we don't have enough self-love. We're so afraid of disclosing ourselves because we don't have the self-confidence to accept another person's rejection easily. And that's, that's really what it comes down to. So it's like if you can be strong enough within your own truth and with your own self to say, you know, it's okay that you don't agree with me and I want you to have what you want and here's what I want and they don't have to be the same all the time. The and I still love you. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that is, of course, the strongest emotion. But the emotions do get in the way. 
He says uh, on page 116, it is the emotions that control the behavior of the human, not the human who controls the emotions. When we lose control, we say things we don't want to say, and we do things we don't want to do. The emotions are such a strong control in our lives. It is very, very difficult to have a relationship when we haven't really addressed how to deal with these emotions, how to deal with the underlying fear, which causes us to run into the negative side of emotions so often. I think that's true. I think that we do have a lot of fear of our emotions. First of all, we are not clear about our own emotions. And why is that? Well, we only have about a thousand voices going on in our head. We have our mom's voice, our dad's voice, our sister's voice, our friend's voice, our own voice. We have everybody telling us how things should be according to them. Here's how life should be according to me. And we're all trying to live up to all of these outer expectations. Often we don't have the strength to even know what it is that we think by the time we've tried to filter out all of these other voices in our head. We don't even know where our head is half the time. And it gets harder and harder. We have the impact now of television and we have the impact of radio and news and politics. And there's just all of this going on in the world. We're living at such a fast pace that we really just have to slow down sometimes. I think that's where the ritual can come in. If you can have a ritual of sitting down, as I often do in the morning, read something positive to yourself. Just read out of a positive book, maybe a prayer book, or maybe just a book like this book that we're discussing today, in which you learn how things are actually put together in life. And then you have something positive to hang on to as you go forward in your day. It makes a big difference, I think. It's all about breaking out of the old dream and building a new dream. So the four agreements help you build this whole new dream, a dream that most of the world doesn't embrace, doesn't believe, and doesn't understand. In a way, it's going to make you somewhat of an outsider, but you are then going to be able to create your own heaven in the midst of everyone else's hell experience. This hell experience, of course, is based on the agreements that they were taught as a child. This is how society is. This is how the school works. This is how church is. This is how dinner should be. This is how interactions between men and women should be. Whether people can love each other or whether they should be shamed of certain types of people that they might want to love. These are all based on false agreements that society has taught us innocently, but still false agreements. To begin following the four agreements is to break out of this. Don Miguel says the key to living a life of joy and fulfillment is to find the courage to break society's agreements that are strictly fear-based, these false agreements that underline the definition of life as we know it. These fear-based shame-based agreements claim our personal power. So by following the four agreements, we gain our personal power back. That's how we end up creating heaven in the midst of everyone else's hell. Right. 
And of course, I think it probably helps a lot if the more you know yourself, the more you can choose someone to be with in your life or choose other friends and others to be with that you're going to be harmonious with. And that really is a choice. You know, it's it's not easy to be in life when we've chosen to be with people who don't really like us the way we are. And they're always trying to change us. So the easiest way to be happy in life is to choose those who love you as you are and who aren't trying to change you. And as hard as it might be, we can do this. We can move away from the people that want to hold us prisoner within the false agreements. And we can look for people that are harmonious to us. And people, as Kira said, that we don't have to change and don't want to change us. There are just too many possibilities of people who are the right fit, who really, in fact, do love us for who we are, don't judge us and support us just the way we are. We can then practice building of this brand new life with them. We can't always assume that, you know, someone can or will change just because we want them to. So it really is important to be with someone who wants to be with you. It's it's very uncomfortable. Life is way too short to keep trying to painfully change yourself to meet someone else's expectations. I think that's a very important point to make. We need to take a break for a moment to thank a sponsor. This segment of our program is sponsored by App Judo, your complete web and mobile application development service. The Japanese word judo means the gentle way. The martial art of judo got this name because it signifies maximum efficiency and mutual welfare and benefit. App Judo follows these same principles in all its software development projects using the best technologies and computer science principles to serve clients' needs elegantly and intelligently. App Judo prides itself on building attractive and intuitive user interfaces that your customers will easily understand and love to use. Whether you want to design and build a new app or refactor and redesign an existing app, App Judo can help make your project a success. Visit App Judo today at www.appjudo.com. Demigout sees the path of four agreements as a means of achieving spiritual freedom in this lifetime. He says it leads to three separate masteries. The first is mastery of awareness. The second is mastery of transformation. And the third is mastery of intent. The first mastery of awareness is who we really are with all of the possibilities that are available in life. Most of the possibilities that are available to us are actually cut off from us because we don't have the belief system. We don't have the access to the understanding that we can either do them or they're friendly to us or we could have those. As we master our awareness, we begin to first recognize the choices that are there in a life well-lived. And then we gain the courage to choose to interact with many of those things that right now are unavailable. The mastery of transformation is how to change, how to become free of the domestication of the human. If you're going to be free, you have to realize that, yeah, you're living a domesticated life. You're living a life prescribed by your parents, by your teachers, by the well-meaning members at your church, if you go to one, by the traffic cops, by anyone else who has helped lay down the rules of society, which we are basically blindly following. As we begin to see how programmed we have become and begin to understand that we need to move out of that, that's the first step. 
recognizing the different fears that have been instilled in us, that's the second step. And learning to come face-to-face and solve those fears, that's the third step. So that leads to being free and having your personal power returned. The mastery of intent, and again, this kind of dovetails back in with what we said about being impeccable with your word from the point of view that your word is your creation, abracadabra, I create as I speak. The mastery of intent is to be intentional about creation, about what you bring into being as paralleled or dovetailed with the God power. The mastery of intent employs God and love and creation as a oneness. God is love. God is creation. God is the energy, the flow, as again, we would say the force from the Star Wars series. And it's through these three, mastery of awareness, mastery of transformation, and mastery of intent, that you fully own the spiritual freedom that can come from these four agreements. I think that's a beautiful synopsis of the book. One of the things that Don Miguel mentioned in the book is that he presented an analogy that we're kind of like a computer that has a virus, and he calls this virus a parasite, and the parasite has been placed in us by all of these false things that we've been hearing. What we're operating out of is fear. There's there's a virus in us, this parasite, that feeds on fear. We have this fear of not being good enough, not being lovable enough, not being everything that we think we should be in order to be acceptable. The teachings he has presented in this book are all about teaching us to get rid of this parasite, find a way to get it out of there, and begin to live from a place of love. What he says at the tail end of all of this, the the first three agreements put in place, he wants us to do the best we can with them. Be impeccable with your word. Don't take everything personally. And don't make assumptions that you know what other people are thinking and doing when they really are operating out of their own world and their own consciousness. What can we do in order to be our best? Well, there are some questions that I wrote down for myself that I use. The first one is, is what I am doing and saying and thinking, giving life or taking away life? The second one is, am I reacting because I think this is about me? It isn't personal. Even when others think it is, I know that they do not define me. So it's never really about me. It's always about them. The third one is, do I have clarity What questions should I be asking so that I can be clear about what someone expects from me and what I expect from myself? I find those three questions that I formulated help me to do my best. I think it's really interesting to observe that Kira has action steps. Don Miguel wants to communicate to us that ideas are fine, but without action, they're meaningless. That was a great sharing at the end because it's one means of establishing action. None of this will do any good at all. If we read it, then next week we forget it. Certainly, if you don't read it, we'll even have, this is the paraphrasing we're doing today, isn't enough. Uh, It's the kind of thing that you keep as a handbook and you take it out every now and then because those suggestions that Kira had, you're going to have many, many of your own that will help you put these four agreement ideas into place. Without the action, you won't be able to build and grant yourself the mastery of this. I also want to 
mention before we end the podcast today that there is actually a second book that Don Miguel Ruiz wrote in regard to the Four Agreements. He calls it the Companion Book. And in that book, he does talk about a lot of different action steps and exercises that we can begin to implement to help actually put these four agreements in place. Thank you so much for listening today. We appreciate having you with us while we talk about some of these books that are so special to us. And if you're a member of our audience and you've enjoyed our show today, we'd like to ask you to please share it with your friends and family. And you can find this in all of our podcasts at iTunes Podcasts. Please look it up at Better Living Institute Book Talk Podcast. And you can find us on the web at betterlivinginstitute.com. Also, you can purchase the book that we've discussed today, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, from a link right on our site. We do benefit a little financially, so we thank you ahead of time if you purchase your book that way. Well, that's our show. Please join us next time. For the Better Living Institute Book Talk Podcast, this is Kira Van Itterson. And this is Bill Van Itterson. So long, everyone. So long. <laughs>